0: This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Rada. So, here is the title of our message this morning. <clears throat> Why Wholesome Speaking is Important and Necessary. Now, I don't want you to confuse this title with things like the power of positive confession, or, you know, naming and claiming it, as some people say. Uh, I, and, and, you know, there's this place for all of that in Christendom. But specifically today, in light of what I shared with you last week, which I touched on the power of God's Word in your mouth, I want to share with you today about the importance and the necessity of speaking <coughs> wholesome words. Especially over yourself and over your life. So that's what we're going to look at today. And as I said, I believe that I'm going to show you a dimension or just a deeper dimension of something that we are familiar with. Praise God. So, are you ready for this wonderful journey? I trust that you are. Now, if for any reason you're really thinking, well, you know, being the dandruff, got a few t shirts, I know how important it is to speak the right words and all that. Well, Besides being a reminder today, I believe that you're going to see something that is just going to take your revelation of that to a different place. Praise God. And I believe that it'll be a good place. So let's begin by looking. And today we're going to mostly read from the NIV translation, just for simplicity's sake, but also just to um, focus on what I want to share with you today. So let's begin by reading James chapter 2 verse 26. Watch this. It says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The King James and New King James and many other translations say, so faith without works is dead. So either way, it's talking about the same thing. Now, traditionally, when people read that verse, When they see that portion of Scripture, uh, they interpret this to say faith or believing must have corresponding actions. And that is true. Now, under the law, which is the old covenant way of relating to God, people had to perform. People had to do in order to get a response from God. People had to fulfill the law, satisfy, satisfy the law. In order to have the blessings of the law. That was in essence how that system was set up. Then Jesus came along, he he went and he redeemed us, he died with our sin and for our sin, and he died as us and for us. And in his redemption, he introduced a new covenant, or you could say a new way of relating to God, which is by grace, no longer by law, but By grace. Now that doesn't mean that we throw out the law and ignore the law. But we relate to God by grace. No longer by law. And so in all of that. And the reason why I'm saying all that is because the cross made a distinction between how we are to see works. Before the law, there were works of the law. So this is what you do to earn and deserve the blessing and favor of God. Beyond the cross... We have works, but they are works of faith, works of believing. So in other words, because we believe something about God, because we believe His Word, because we believe redemption in Jesus, we do things, we engage in things, not because we're trying to get the blessing and favor of God, because we already have it in Jesus, but it is because we have the blessing of God that we do these things, such as being in church today such as joining us today and enjoying this message. You're not doing this because you're trying to prove to God that you committed. You're not doing this because you're trying to gain God's favor in some way by being pious that He's now going to bless you. No, you're doing this because you are blessed, because you are redeemed. Amen. So you don't read your Bible to get points with God. You read your Bible because you already have all the points you need with God in and through Jesus. Right? And so in the same way, when we read portions like we've just read in James, where it says that just the way this physical body is dead without the spirit inside it. Now, you know yourself, the Bible tells us in Thessalonians that we are a three-part being. We are a spirit being, we have a soul, and we live in, this, in a body, right? And so what this is saying is, is that this body would be dead if the spirit wasn't in it. This is why when someone dies, this body stays behind, but it's lifeless. Because the spirit has left that body. And so really, it's dead. It's going to decay. It is no longer of any use uh, to the person or to anyone else. And so in the same way, what James was saying here, is that just like a natural physical body, is dead without the Spirit inside inside it, he says, faith without works, without deeds, is also dead. So if someone says they believe, but they don't have some kind of corresponding action, some kind of corresponding work, some kind of corresponding deed or deeds, then that faith, he says, is dead. In other words, the way that you tell that someone believes is by what they do. Whether it's words, actions, you know, different things that they engage in, ultimately, those reveal that that person believes. So if someone says, I believe in having a relationship with God, then they'll make time to enjoy that relationship They'll make time to nurture, and they'll do things to nurture that relationship, such as reading and meditating on God's Word, perhaps being around, you know, just God's people, being in church, however form that is. Uh, Those are all things that reveal that someone believes, right? And so, in essence, that's how most people understand this. And it's correct, but today I want to show you something a little deeper about that, because it's something that we often don't seem to go in the direction of, and thus fail to get the revelation of what James was saying here. Now, so in order to do that, in order to take you to where I want to take you and show you the deeper revelation that I believe James shares here in what he said, in what we have just read, let's begin by looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. This is talking about God. But it gives us a clue as far as what James was also talking about. So take a look at this. Let's read it together. It says there, it's, it's talking about the account of creation. Okay. And it says, By the seventh day, God finished. Watch what I've emboldened there. Okay. God finished the work He had begun doing. So on the seventh day, He rested. Watch From all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it He rested, watch this, from all the work of creating that He had done. So notice the emphasis three different times in the portion about God working. God having works. God doing work. See that? And so it's clear. Now, I have to then ask the question, what work did God do? What work is that portion talking about? And I know you're going to say, well, it's the work of creation, because that's the creation account, right? But just to see it for ourselves and to clarify, Genesis 1.1, which is how that portion begins. And it says, it's coming up on the screen. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, when we consider that, which is all part of the same context, and we think back about what we've just read in Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3, the work that God was engaged in was the work of creation, right? And it says that He had finished it. He had finished all His work of creation. And when He did on the seventh day, He then declared it as holy because now He was going to rest from all the work He had done. Now, He wasn't resting because He was tired. He was resting because He finished. God doesn't get tired, as you know. So, He rested because He was finished with His work of creation. Right? I'm going somewhere with all this. Say with me, okay? So then, the next question that we need to ask is, How did God create everything that constituted work, that was called work, that was referred to as His work, that He then rested from when He finished? How did God create everything? So we know now, we've seen it, that the work that He did was the work of creation. Then the next question we need to ask is, how did God create everything? So before we read it, I want you to answer that for yourself. How did God create everything? Can you guess? <laughs> Can you come up with some answer? Well, let's have a look. And we're going to go through this pretty quick, okay? Because of time. But also, we're going to see the verses that involve creation. <clears throat> the verses that describe His work. What it was that His work constituted of. And how He actually worked by creating everything, okay? Okay? So here it is Yeah, starting with Genesis 1 verse 3. It says, And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Notice what I've emboldened. And do the same with everything else we're going to read here, okay? So God said, this is how He created everything. God said, and it begins here in this case with light, right? Then we jump to verse 6 of chapter 1. And it says again, And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. In other words, it's talking about the first heaven, space between the sky and the earth. Okay? But notice, He said. Then we jump to verse 9, and it says, And God said, There it is again, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. So now land appeared in between the seas. But notice, God said, right? So then we jump to verse 14. And it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault, in other words, the sky of the sky, to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. So notice again, God said. Then from there, we jump to verse 20. And it says, And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. Notice there it is again. God said. Then we jump to verse 24. Watch what it says. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the livestock. the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. Notice again, God said. And so, then we get to verse 31, where it says, God saw all that He had made. How did He make it all? By speaking, right? Because it says, God said. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, so right up to the sixth day, basically those are the six days of creation that we are told about in Scripture. And what you see is is that God rested from His work on the seventh day, right? Because it is called work. And how did God work? He spoke. So His work is, is referred to as Him saying, as him speaking. So you could say that God rested from speaking. God rested from saying because his words were so powerful that they were able to cause creation to come together. When he said to the sea or about the sea, then animals appeared instantly. When he spoke about the skies, instantly, in a moment, birds appeared. Everything that would fly in the sky appeared. When he spoke and said, land will be there, then land appeared, right? And so what we see as God resting from his work and him working, it was all to do with him speaking. It was him using his words. His word is so powerful that it has creative force. All he did was he spoke it and it happened physically and naturally, right? I mean, that's pretty powerful. And then after all of that, it says, we're going to look at it again now, what we read in verse chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Remember? By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. What was that work? Speaking creation into existence. So His work was speaking, right? So He believed He could create, and because He believed, He spoke it. Right? And that was called his work. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. He rested from speaking creation into existence. Do you see that? I mean, is someone seen that? Am I just am I making no, I'm not making this up. You know that it's there. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work, in other words, the speaking of creating that he had done. <laughs> Pretty powerful, right? So what is referred to here as God's work is Him speaking. Are you starting to connect this here with what James said? He said, faith without works is dead. In other words, there is an aspect to faith. There is an aspect to believing that involves our words. Now, last week I shared with you about the importance of speaking God's Word itself, it is written, just like Jesus did, right? But here, we're taking this a little further. We're taking this to a different place. Not that I want to override what I said last week at all, but this is just another dimension, that talking about wholesome words, because our words apparently have power, just like God's, because we are created in His image and likeness, right? And so, God's words are referred to as His work or Him speaking. So God worked by the power of His words. That's another way we can put that. Correct? Of course. And so on the seventh day, He rested. What did He rest from? He rested from speaking. You see, He didn't rest because He was tired of speaking. He rested because He was finished. He was done. He didn't need to say anything else because it was all done within what he had said in those six days, basically. So, the principle that I want to draw your attention to here is is that God calls His speaking work. He calls it His work of faith, right? And so, part of what we need to include when we read what James said is that where it says that faith without works is dead part of that work engage or involves our speaking. So we need to speak wholesome words, words that align with what we believe. Now, first prize is to speak God's word as is. It is written, right? But also in our general vernacular, in our general speaking, in our overall speaking, we need to speak wholesome words because they are important and they are also necessary, as I'm about to show you in a moment, okay? And so that's what I want to draw your attention to here. And so I submit to you today that that is also what James was talking about. When he said that just like this body without the spirit is dead, faith without the work of speaking is also dead. In other words, we need to speak our faith. We need to speak what we believe. First prize is to speak God's Word as it is written. Second prize is also to speak wholesome words. Words that will produce life. Words that will work in our favor positively. Amen. So, now, when we speak, we can also then conclude and say that we are working. And you know yourself. I mean, I think about ministering like this to you. Uh, when I'm done, I mean, I may not have labored physically hard, but I feel the drain just, you know, spiritually, but also, uh, well, spiritually, probably not the best way but to describe it. But, you know, my soul feels the drain, if I can put it that way, because you can also only speak for so long, because words are power. Words take calories out of you. They burn calories. It takes energy out of you, right? And so... We can see that when we speak, we are working because we see that when God spoke, He called it work. And then He rested from His work, not because He was tired like we get tired, but because He was finished. Just like when you have something to say and you're done saying it, you stop and you finish. You rest, right? That's exactly what this is saying. And so when we speak, our words go to work. This is why also James was saying what he said. And so our words have creative power and ability. Now, I know that we know all of this, but I want us to, I want to remind you of all of that in light of what I've shared with you so far. That God's work was His words, Him speaking. And this is also additionally what James was talking about. Faith without works is dead. In other words, we need to speak wholesome things that line up with what we believe, that what we claim to be faith. Amen. And so James then goes on in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And you'll see this is all, when you take it all in context, it's hard to see that he wasn't referring specifically to words, to us speaking. And so then he goes on in chapter 2 to show us two additional examples, uh, the two that I want to draw your attention to today anyway, in light of what we're talking about. So the first that he points out then is Abraham. And watch in chapter 2. In that same context, if in case you think, hold on, Pastor Marco, maybe just maybe you're stretching this a little too far. I'm not because James himself clarifies it. So watch us in uh, chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. Now he gives the example of Abraham. And unfortunately, most stop at actions and doing actual things. But you'll see that he's actually talking about words, speaking just like God does. So then he says, watch us." And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. It says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. So you can see that he's actually qualifying the exact same point right here. And notice what he says there. It says that Abraham believed and he, God accredited that to him as righteousness by what he did. So what did he do that showed God that he believed? Well, most people will say that he sacrificed or he was willing to sacrifice his son. And those were the actions that came out of what he believed, correctly so. But it all began first and foremost with what Abraham said, what Abraham spoke. You see, what he said showed us what he believed. And then we see his actions play out that he believed it. But it all first began with his words. And I'm going to show you that now. Because remember, what I'm showing you here is is that James was talking about the words that we say. That's the work. And so here, we see Abraham being accredited as righteous because he believed. And then it says that it's what he did that showed us that he believed. Now I'm going to show you that what he did was the result of what he said because he believed. Does that make sense? (laughs) So watch this. Genesis 22 verse 8 to 13. Watch this. And Abraham, or Abraham, what does it say next? Answered. In other words, he spoke. And here he's about to speak what he believes, which is the result. The result of that was he went and he did it, but he spoke first. Abraham answered. God himself, this is now him answering Isaac, because Isaac was traveling with him, going up the mountain, and kind of, I guess, started putting it together that, hold on, we don't have a sacrifice, so what's going to happen here? And so Abraham answers his son, and he speaks what he believes. Watch this. Abraham answered. In other words, he spoke. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So what did Abraham just do? He spoke what he believed. So the work of speaking revealed what he believed. See that? So he was doing what God did in speaking because he said, God will provide. In other words, even though I'm going to put you on the altar and even though I'm going to go as far as I need to go, and if I kill you, you're going to come back to life because God himself, he trusted and believed God, but he spoke it. Then his physical actions followed. I hope you're following this here because this is awesome. Then we carry on reading in verse 9. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. In other words, now I know that you believe and that your actions now match the words you spoke. But it was your words that revealed that you believed. And that was the actual work. Then it says "Yeah, do not, uh, where do we go? Verse 13 next, right? Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorn, horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So, I mean, right there, we see it so clearly. That he took the action of physically putting his son and about to plunge this knife into him. And God stopped him. But you see that his actual work of faith, his faith was first revealed in what he said. And that was his work of faith which James was referring to. He wasn't referring to what Abraham actually did with Isaac to sacrifice him. He was referring to the work of his words because Abraham first voiced it and then he acted on it. You see? So he spoke wholesome words and he said, Don't worry, son. Whatever happens, don't worry. God is going to take care of us. He's going to take care of you. And (laughs) the rest is history. Do you see that? It's pretty powerful. So the work by which Abraham was justified was speaking what he believed. Amen? More than the action that he took. It was first speaking what he believed. And what did he believe? That God would provide himself as the sacrifice. Did you hear what I said? That's a different teaching altogether, and we can get into it some other time. But I don't want to get distracted on that. If you look at the original Hebrew writing of this in the actual uh sentence structure if you will it actually doesn't say that god will provide a sacrifice himself it actually says that god would provide himself as the actual sacrifice and you know that that ram was a top and shadow of jesus so he provided himself so he made himself the sacrifice it's pretty powerful but nonetheless let's focus on the work that justified abraham which was what speaking what he believed, right? And then the actions followed, right? I trust that you saw that. Now, the next example in that same context, that immediate context that James then gives us is that of Rahab. Rahab, as you know, was a prostitute in Jericho, but she had come to believe and trust in God. And watch, you're going to see the same thing here as James continues. Even though it's going to say that her works matched what she believed, you can see that her work was first voicing, speaking what she believed. And that was what James was referring to. Not what she actually did to hide the spies, because she had to lie to hide the spies. And God wouldn't say, yeah, lying is okay. <laughs> so it wasn't that that God caused God to see her as righteous. He declared her righteous because she voiced her faith. Once more, you'll see that now. So then James continues in the very next verse. Watch this, verse 25 and 26. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous. Look at that. For what she did. In other words, the work. Now, what was the work? I've already shown you that it's speaking, not actually hiding and lying about the spies. For what she did, when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Now you'll see, and I know you'll think, well, hold on, but that sounds like it's saying what she actually did is how she was justified. No, that was the result of what she believed, what she had voiced. And I'm going to show you that in a moment. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. See, it's all in the same context. So now, like I said earlier, it wasn't her lying or concealing the spies that God honored as her faith. Because God wouldn't do that. Otherwise, we can all lie and think it's okay. <laughs> no, clearly not. It was her speaking what she believed that determined her as righteous before God. That God caused, uh, that caused God to impute righteousness to her. Let me show you what she said. And you'll see that it was what she said because she said it first and then doing what she did with the spies was the resulting of what she said because she believed it. Joshua 2 verse 8 to 13. Watch this. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said. (laughs) You see, oftentimes we miss these little details, but they give us the clue of what the actual work that matches the faith is. It's what they say. It all begins with what we say. And said to them, watch us now, watch what she says. Tell me if you think she believes or not. I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. Now, watch what she says next. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So, did she believe God? Did she believe in God? Yes, she did. So, right there, you see, she voices her belief, and that is the work that God takes. And then justifies her and makes her righteous. Even though she was a prostitute before that. Now look at verse 12. Now then, this is still her speaking. Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. Did she believe? Of course she did. That you will spare the lives of my father and mother. My brothers and sisters and all who belong to them. And that you will save us from death. And as you know, the rest is history. That's exactly what happened. The spies honored that oath, honored that commitment. But more importantly, going back to what I'm sharing with you about today, is where James said that faith without works is dead. We've seen that the work is that of speaking. Speaking wholesome, creative, positive words. And God created all of creation that way. The fall messed it up, but he created it perfectly. And so we see that with Abraham, it was the same thing. The actions were not him sacrificing Isaac. The actions were him saying that he believed that God would spare his son. The actions with Rahab was not hiding the spies and helping them out. It was her voicing that she believed in God and acknowledging God as the God of heaven and earth. And so therefore, God accredited that to her as righteous. And then... The saving of her and her family followed. Amen. You see, that's the work of faith. That's where the work of faith begins, is with wholesome words that are spoken by us. And so, Rahab's deeds led to her being declared righteous, which was what? Speaking what she believed. It was her words. Amen. And that is what I'm calling the deeper truth, which should really just be the basic truth that we see here in James. Because if you look at the whole context of James, his focus wasn't on the doing, which sadly many in Christendom focus on because they have a legalistic understanding of Scripture. But it's really the words that James was focusing on here. You see, our greatest corresponding action or the greatest corresponding action that we can have to our faith is our words, our speaking. That's why it matters that we speak wholesome words. That's why it is important that we speak wholesome words. That's why it impacts our life like it does. Amen. And so, just in case anyone's still in doubt, even though I've shown you all of that, to prove his point, watch what James says in the very next chapter. Now you know that this was one long letter. There was no chapter numbers. We put that in there in the late fifteen hundreds to help us find scripture. So for him, this is all in context. Watch what he says in James three, verse three and six. This is all in the same context. He's speaking about the same thing. This proves to us that he was speaking about words or our speaking being the works that match our faith. That that give life to our faith, as he used the example of the body and the spirit. Watch this. James 3, verse 3 and 6, all in the same context. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. In other words, no matter how powerful a horse is, if you put a bridle in its mouth, you've got full control of it. Then he says, or take ships as an example. So he's giving us illustrations here. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. It's talking about the little thing at the end of the ship at the bottom. One tiny little thing can direct that whole ship even against the wind, no matter how fierce the winds are, is what he's saying. Then, watch us now in verse 5. Likewise, in other words, that was all illustration Likewise, the tongue, what do we do with our tongue? We use it to speak. So he's talking about our words, our speaking, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is and is itself set on by fire, on fire by hell. Now, I'm going to explain the last part a little bit more in a moment. But look at that real carefully. I mean, he gives us the illustration. You can see this is all in context of what he spoke about. You know, the works and faith, and and the fact that faith is alive when it has works and. We've seen that those works are words and us speaking. God Himself did that and does that. And then I've shown you how James shares the example of Abraham. And then I've shown you how it was Abraham's words that actually were the works that God took notice of and therefore justified Abraham. And then the same thing with Rahab. God saw the words, heard the words that she spoke. He took her speaking and use that to declare her righteous and save her whole family and then she did all the other things and so here then James continues and he says you know just the way you can take control of a wild crazy strong beastly horse or if you take a ship that is so huge and the winds blowing against it you can have full control of it and he says in the same way your tongue has that ability and has that power it is a small part of your body but it can do great damage to you. It can do great damage to those around you. And it can literally set your life on fire, destructive fire. So you can see that he's talking about words. He's talking the the, the works that match your faith is the words that we speak. So really his encouragement overall is for us to speak wholesome words, creative words, positive words. You know, all too often, and even among believers, you have those who say, well, I'm just a realist. You know, I'm just going to call it what it is. So, I mean, just some time ago I was speaking to someone, and uh, they say they're a believer, and I believe they are. But, you know, they had some issues, and I wanted to pray for them, but I couldn't even pray for them because they had taken such ownership of what was going on. And they were just voicing it right, left, and center, you know. Their back was sore, and it's been sore for years, and it's probably going to get worse. And I mean, all this stuff that just came out of their mouth. And I thought, how do I pray for someone whose works, whose words, whose speaking doesn't line up with their faith? Their faith essentially is dead because James said, just like a body without the spirit is dead, Faith without works, which now I've shown you is speaking, the words they say, if those words don't line up with what they believe, that faith is dead. It's not alive. So that person is not going to receive anything, right? And so that's what we want to see here and what we want to fine-tune ourselves in today. And you see, when he goes on to say, you know, the tongue is lit by on fire by hell itself and all that, I'm going to explain all of that in my own words and illustrate it to show you what he means. You see, the natural flow of this fallen world is negative. Would you agree? Of course it is. It's a fallen world. So its natural flow is negative. Therefore, we need to speak positively. We need to speak wholesome words to counter it, to prevent it, from having its natural negative flow in our lives. Otherwise, it's going to just have its way with us, right? Let me give you an example. Let's just say that someone blesses you with a big piece of land. Let's just say it's 10 acres or 5 acres, whatever it is, okay? And it's good, fertile soil. I mean, you can literally plant corn, you can plant... Plant anything that you want on it and it will produce a bumper crop and you'll be able to have income from that, right? And so someone gives you this piece of land and it's beautifully prepared. They've taken all the weeds and thistles out. They've taken all the stones out. It's ready for you to basically just do a little plowing, put in your seed, water it, cultivate it. And before you know in season, you can have a bumper crop and great income. But you decide, well, you know, this year I've got a lot going with, you know, other things in my life and my job and all that. And so I wasn't quite prepared, you know, to deal with land and plant putting seeds and all that. So I'm going to just take a year and just leave the land alone. I mean, it's mine already. I have the deed. I'm just going to let it be. And in a year from now, I think I'll be better ready, better prepared to get in and start working on the land. Now, even though it's been beautifully prepared for you and handed, it, handed over to you, what is going to happen to that soil and that land in the year that you do nothing with it? See, Weeds are going to start growing. Thistles are going to start coming out. And before you know, it's going to become corrupt. It's going to become unable to plant in. Correct? Why? Because the world naturally does that. Because it's fallen... That's what the land naturally does. So in a year from now, it's going to be even more work. It's going to be harder work because now you've got to pull out all those weeds and thistles and thorns and you're going to have to remove things that weren't there and then you'll be able to work on the land, right? Why? Because naturally that's what this fallen world does. Well, in the same way, this fallen world flows (laughs) with negativity like that with destructive stuff towards us. So you can't go and say, well, you know, I may not be speaking negative words over my life. I'm just not saying anything. So when something bad happens in my life, I just keep my mouth shut and I don't say anything. Well, guess what? You, you know, some believers think that they're doing themselves a good thing. So I'm not saying negative things. And I'm going to think about saying positive things, but I'm not really saying those positive things. I'm just not saying anything. I've gone mute. I've muted myself. Do you think that that's going to work as well? <laughs> no, because the natural world, just like the ground, this natural world naturally has a negative effect. It flows in a negative direction, it has a negative output. And so if you keep quiet and don't say good, wholesome, positive words over your life, over your situation, you are literally allowing the negative flow of this fallen world to just keep growing and producing those negative things in your life. Does that make sense? I trust that it does. And this is why God has given us and show us that the works are the positive, good words that we speak. That's how we release our faith. That's, how we, that's where faith begins. That's what I've been showing you today. And so by not saying anything, guess what we do? We're actually accepting the natural flow of this fallen world. So if you think, well, I'd rather just not say anything, you're actually then just accepting the negative flow of this world and it's going to have its thorns and thistles and weeds grow in your life because that's what it naturally does. This is why we have to speak. We have to have those works to give our, f- our faith life. We have to speak those positive things. So what I'm saying is is that first prize is to speak the very Word of God. But other than that, you should just have a natural tendency to speak positive, to speak good things over your life. You know, to say, Father, thank you for a great day today. I believe I have a healthy body. I believe that I function in favor. When I go into the workplace, people just love me. They appreciate me. They want to work with me. They want to do things for me. And, you know, as I walk, I walk in health and wholeness. And, you know, my eyesight is 20-20. My hearing is perfect. That's what I'm talking about. Now, I know that oftentimes that's become a formula. And it's what I refer to as name it and claim it and all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just general speech, just like Abraham, just like you saw it with Abraham, just like you saw it with Rahab. We actually speak good, wholesome, positive words that actually stop the natural flow of this negative fallen world from continuing to have an impact in our lives. And just being quiet, because I've come across believers, I've done it myself too. I used to think, man, this confession stuff is hard work. I've got to write them down and I've got to have affirmations. Who's got time for all of that? I'm just not going to get into all that. So I'm just going to keep quiet. I'm just not going to say anything. That way I don't say anything negative. And when I have time, I'll say positive things. Thinking that I'm doing the right thing and doing myself a favor. But then not realizing that this natural world is fallen and it naturally produces and keeps producing these negative things. So I do need to speak wholesome, positive, good things over my life. Especially where I see the attacks. Especially where I see the weeds, the the thistles, the thorns, and so forth. Right? So when we see a situation in our family, we speak life over it. We speak positive things over it. Because our words are the works that reveal our faith, that give our faith life. So even though I may not be saying the exact Word of God, because I haven't maybe had time to memorize it and say it, even though I could have it written and just say it, I am still speaking wholesome words. Amen. We need to say it because that reveals our faith. I trust that this is making sense in light of what I've shared with you today. So you may not say negative things, but by not saying anything, it's also not good. Do you see that today? You see, words are like seeds. If you don't plant them, The natural fallen ground will produce weeds and thistles that will negatively affect your life. Isn't that so? You see, evil prevails when we remain silent. And not just when we speak negative. Did you hear what I said? (laughs) I'm going to say that again. Evil prevails when we remain silent. And not just when we speak negative. Why? Because that's the natural flow of this fallen world. So even when it's not happening, or we think it's not happening, we need to be speaking good, wholesome words over our lives. Amen? I mean, you know, you think of a parent who may not say negative things to their kids or negative things about their kids. But yet, when they don't say positive things to them, Or they just quiet and don't say anything about them and to them. What are they doing? They're leaving them vulnerable to the devil and the fallen things this world says. Because it continues with that flow. This is why we do need to say positive things to our children. Right? We need to not just necessarily keep quiet, but say actual things and speak positive things. But I want to encourage you and help you realize that the works that match our faith the works that give our faith life is wholesome, good, positive. words. what we speak, as we've seen today. Amen. You see, God has given us an edge. And that edge is our mouth, our speaking, our words. And this is why wholesome speaking is important and necessary. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.